friends. Welcome to the Faithful Podcast, stories of people who walk by faith and gained a fuller understanding of the faithfulness of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Baker. Thank you so much for listening today. You can find my podcast on iTunes at Faithful Podcast or on my website, faithfulpodcast.podbean.com. I'm also on Instagram at Faithful Podcast. If you like the podcast, please take a few moments to leave me a review on my iTunes channel. Reviews are so important because they help other people find the podcast so that it can be a blessing to them. Also, you definitely want to check out my husband Phil Baker's podcast, Reclaiming the Faith. Not only does Phil handle the music as well as the editing of my podcast, he has a powerful podcast of his own. He explores what the earliest Christians believed and how they would deal with the core issues that we face today. It's been such a blessing to me and so many others, so please check it out. Also, you should check out his new EP, Love and War. I'm loving all the songs, and I know you'll love them too. You can get it from philsbaker.com or on iTunes. This episode is part one of two with my dear friend, Joy Meadows. Joy is a mama to three adorable boys, and she has a love for Jesus, people, and making things beautiful. Joy and her husband, Chad, have a business together called Peachtree Home Decor and Renovation. We don't get a chance to talk about it in this podcast, but you can see examples of their work on their Instagram, at peachtreehdr. Joy truly lives up to her name, and she's a joy to all that meet her. Joy is going to be sharing about some tough things that she experienced in the church that left some very deep wounds. She experienced spiritual abuse at the church that left her questioning who she really was. All of this pain was not wasted, though, and it has propelled her to be an even bigger advocate for accountability for church leaders to help protect the vulnerable. She loves the church, and she wants to see it reflect Jesus as closely as possible. I am so excited for y'all to hear all that she has to say. So without further delay, here is part one of my interview with Joy Meadows. Hey, Joy, thanks so much for talking with me today. I am so excited about our conversation. It is, um, it's so good to talk to you and it's so good just to hear your voice. But um, I think there's... (laughs) Definitely. And um, you have so much wisdom and so much um, just life experience with things that many people have dealt with. And I know that it's going to be a blessing to them. So I'm excited to, to talk to you today. Well, I'm honored that uh, you invited me on. I have um, pushed you <laughs> back for uh, just a few weeks, um, yeah. months. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> no problem. But um, no, I'm really honored that uh, to be here and have this conversation with you because I think it needs it does need to be had to, despite my um, fear and trembling walking into it. I mean, I, I understand reluctance completely, and I appreciate you not getting mad when I kept <laughs> prompting you <laughs> to make this happen. Well, here we are. So, yeah. it, well, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, well, uh, I have been married. It will be almost 15 years in a couple wow. of weeks. We have three full of life little dudes that I <laughs> refer to as my man cubs. Um, and 
uh, Chad and I were in, he was a pastor, worship pastor for nine years. And then the last two years, we actually started our own home renovation company and have been building that together, which has actually been really, really fun and life-giving to both have a dream that we're working on together and taking places that nobody else sees value in and making them a place that everyone wants to be. And I feel like that's such the heart of God with people of taking and seeing the brokenness and seeing the beauty in each, in each person um, is sort of how we're trying to walk out our, our business and we're loving it. Oh, um, let's see about me. I am a sucker for a Starbucks holiday cup. (laughs) I I survive on coffee, Um, conversations with friends in a tufted chair. And that pretty much sums me up. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) That sounds great. And, um, you know, I know personally, we love a good long conversation. And so um, I'm excited for all that you're going to share. But um, do you mind sharing with uh, us a little bit about how we first met? Well, that's a fun story. (laughs) Um, Well, yes, I had just had our second man cub, Alistair. And um, we had just moved to Houston. We'd only been in Houston a few weeks. I had a one-month-old baby and I found myself the sickest I've ever been in my life um, in a new town and not wanting to be needy. I hate feeling needy. And so here we were new on staff at a church and I was so sick. I couldn't get out of bed, had a brand mm. new baby, needed to find a doctor, just prayed, Lord, you've got to lead me to the right person. Cause after praying and well, after crying on the phone to my doctor in Wisconsin, who could not help me from that many miles away, yeah, um, she said, you have got to go into somebody. And Steph, it was you, yeah. uh, lo and behold. <laughs> you were uh, who the Lord sent me to. And I think um, I just sat there crying. We got to know each other real well, real quick. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just remember um, in the weeks that followed meeting you and coming in for multiple appointments, figuring out what was going on with me. I remember praying, I wanted to start an if table dinner. Uh And I had been praying, Lord, who is supposed to be at this table? Who is supposed to sit at this table? And your face kept popping into my mind. (laughs) And I remember being like, Lord, that is so weird. I can't ask my lady parts doctor to come to dinner. Like, this is just, that is so awkward and weird, but... Um, he knew better mm. and um, I'm just so thankful for your friendship over the last few years. You've been such a gift, a sweet blessing and gift from the Lord. And um, now I love our story, how we met. I think it's hilarious. Uh, I think it's history. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was really fun too, because I was fairly new when we met, like new to working as a nurse practitioner and um, I would always like talk to the medical assistants and I'm like, oh, my favorite patient's coming in. And they're like, that's kind of weird that you have a favorite patient. And I'm like, I don't know why, but we just, we really hit it off. And I don't know. And they're like, that's kind of strange. But um, I I felt a very strong connection to you too very early on. And we were able to talk about um, things of the Lord really easily. And um, I, you know, I appreciated that and I appreciated um, just getting to know you and seeing that, you know, your name is very appropriate for you. You are full uh-huh. of joy, even in 
really tough situations, which you definitely were in when we met. So Yes. Well, thanks. Well, yeah. I would take, it was awful, but if that's what it took to meet you, I feel like the Lord could have introduced us in a, in a less traumatic <laughs> right. way. We could have met at the grocery <laughs> store. It <Week> half. <laughs> I mean, seriously. But if that's what it took, it was worth it. Yeah. It, it was, it was definitely, um, a blessing to meet you too. Um, and um, I'm really, really thankful for it. I didn't have to do nearly as much suffering as you did. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah. Can you tell us about how you came to know Jesus? Uh, sure. Um, I'm blessed that I don't really remember childhood or life without Jesus. Mm. Um, my parents were in ministry when I was born. I was a missionary kid during my early years and then a pastor's kid later on in life. Um, and if I wasn't a pastor's kid, it was some form of a ministry kid. Mm-hmm. And my parents just really did a beautiful job of modeling relationship, not religion. And I'm so thankful for that and now being older and having kids of our own that we're raising to to know and love the Lord. I just appreciate that heritage mm. uh, that I got because it was just such a, a great foundation for me. Um, I remember when I was five, we were living in Tokyo, Japan. My parents were missionaries and my dad was baptizing people in our church. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people would say five, I was too young, but I knew, I knew then that I wanted to choose. I wanted to choose to give Jesus my life, to give Mm. him my heart. Um, And I begged him to baptize me too. And I remember, I think I might remember more through pictures than I actually (laughs) that day. (laughs) But I remember arguing with my dad, like, no, I can do this. And he was really, he didn't want to just baptize me. He wanted to make sure I was ready. And so I remember he was asking me a bunch of questions and he ended up, um, baptizing me along with the, the members of our church. And um, I've claimed that as the day that I said yes to Jesus. Um, oh, it was too many years ago now than I care to admit, but um, <laughs> ah, that sort of is um, my um, my story of, of always knowing the Lord. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your family. Um, and your early relationship with the church. You you kind of shared that you've had, if you weren't in the church working, there was there was always something going on that was ministry related that was very much a part of your life. Can you tell us more about that? And I think, well, I think the foundationally with my family is growing up as a missionary kid, especially in, in Japan. Well, I mean, and every country is going to be unique, but there wasn't really a previous or preconceived ideas about Jesus and his character and who he was. Mm -hmm. So it almost church there, it almost resembled more of the early church and what that would look like in America. I think uh, we have, we come with all of our preconceived ideas and um, filters through what we think God is and who we think he is. And so foundationally for me, that wasn't there. It was, Jesus was presented, um, it was almost, it was new to them and I wasn't being infiltrated with the world's view Mm. of who he was. And uh, I just think that 
that has been unique. I've been pondering on that lately. Yeah. Of um, special. I also, I remember church feeling like church was really long because <laughs> everything my dad said had to be translated. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. It was like double the length. But, mm-hmm. um, but it was fun. And um, I think just learning that our life um, is a service to him. Like, what is our, our purpose? I think my, my parents were always serving in one way or another, and it wasn't about storing up treasures mm-hmm. here on earth. I mean, their whole um, goal was, I mean, I feel like I've always heard my dad say growing up, I want my end to be so much greater than my beginning and just wow. always wanting to live his life in a way that others know Jesus. And no matter what, I mean, he, he smuggled Bibles into Japan and I mean, he smuggled, he, we lived in Japan. He was smuggling Bibles into China. Mm. Um, he was, uh, when he was, you know, not on staff at a church. He was helping get solar-powered audio Bibles into villages, illiterate villages. And so, so much of my childhood, I watched what was being modeled was people need Jesus and how are we living a life that shows who he is, you know, introduces him to people. That's... (laughs) That's so powerful. I I mean, I, I feel like some days, especially as a parent, I'm just like surviving and making it through and trying not to like ruin my witness for the people around me, but like <laughs> to go so far above and beyond, like, golly, that's such an amazing testimony of God's goodness. And like that he has truly tasted and seen how good the Lord is and that he doesn't want anybody to miss out on that. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's that important. Well, and I used to be embarrassed. I remember sitting at summer camp and the cabinet was like going around in a circle and people were saying hard things at home, things they were struggling with. And I was so glad I wasn't first because as it was going around, I was racking my brain trying to think of something tough. And I had guilt. I sat there feeling guilty that I didn't have anything really negative to say. And that was at like 15. Um, little did I know <laughs> there was going to be plenty in my future. That yeah. I could, God's like, I got I you. Could, well, well I got you'll you. get this later no on. <laughs> um, but I just really appreciate that. And, um, and just how and my parents weren't perfect of that, but yeah. they were always so quick to say, hey, you know what? To model repentance, um, to model forgiveness. And I just really valued that. And I know my kids are going to need counseling already for (laughs) things that I've done, but um, (laughs) it's just, you know, we're human, but I hope that they know that they are loved by a creator um, who designed them with a purpose and a destiny greater than they can even hope or imagine. And if they never doubt that Jesus loves them and that he created them for a purpose, then I'm okay with them having counseling for other things as long as <laughs> that one truth yeah. takes hold of their heart. Mm. That's that's so good. 
So um, over the course of our friendship, um, I you used this term with me that before um, spiritual abuse. So prior to our conversations about that, I had I'm going to be honest, I've never heard that term, and I I'm assuming if I haven't, and I've grown up in a church um, in a setting like that, that most people probably aren't familiar with that. So can you tell us what it is and when you became aware of this concept of spiritual abuse? Sure. Um, I hate that I'm known for that. I'm the one that introduced you to that concept. No, but um, you, you introduced know, me to lots of positive things too. This, just so you know. Um, I, I think when we hear spiritual abuse, we kind of go to an extreme in our head mm. of um, a, a cult or even right. an image of like David Koresh or someone like that would pop into your head. And those are obviously spiritual abuse, but kind of extreme examples. Um, I mean, if you want to do Webster's definition of spiritual abuse, which is a newer term, mm. um, it's it would be the injury of a person's spiritual health. Okay. Um, and uh, I think the words used are when control manipulation and bullying are used by someone with spiritual authority in your life. Okay. Um, and so it's the terminology spiritual abuse is new, but concept you see all throughout scripture. When you look, I mean, another term there's, some legalistic churches may borderline with some spiritual abuse stuff if they're completely on the letter of the law and there's no grace. You know, I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's little examples that we can kind of see everywhere. But um, I think um, Ezekiel 34, I think it's verse two. Um, when I'm gonna grab it here, because uh, yeah, Ezekiel 34, two when Ezekiel is prophesying and he says, uh, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of their flock? Mm. You eat the curds, clothe yourself with wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or search for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. And so, I mean, he is, he's calling out Uh the shepherds of the flock in that verse. Um, You know, when when I look at scripture, we see Jesus confronted those who were misusing their spiritual authority all the time. Right. Um, You think about, uh, the greatest display of righteous anger you see in scripture is um, is when Jesus calls out the um, people for misusing the temple. Right. You know, um, and all four of the gospels account that story. Um, but I think yeah. it's in John's version in the book of John. He made a whip. Yeah. I mean, it. it there was... He made one. He didn't just find a whip. No, he made a whip. Made a whip. <laughs> yeah. And you think, but that was a misuse. What he was responding to, it was a misuse of the Lord's house. It was mm. a misuse of the the word of God. It was it was something that was, you know, from the Lord and perfect that we 
taint and twist in our humanness. Um, I think, and Jeremiah describes a perversion of justice in Israel. And it, mm-hmm. I think in Jeremiah five, it talks about the um, the authority that the prophets and priests had, um, that they were using their authority to add to their own wealth and power mm. at the expense of the needy. It says that this angered God. And Matthew 23, um, it's a long description that Jesus goes through of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. They've seated themselves in Moses' seat in a position of authority. Um, They command things that they themselves do not do and they bind heavy burdens on people, but they don't carry the loads themselves. You know, when, when someone is in a place of spiritual authority, uses scripture or the word of God to manipulate, control, or tear down, uh, that is what I would qualify as being spiritually abusive. Yeah, so, um, I'm sorry, did I interrupt you? No. I was just thinking this term, like, exploitation comes to mind, and then Mm -hmm. um, you, like, just, you know, taking advantage of the power, taking advantage, because, it you know, when you are in a church or, you know, parachurch setting, if you're a spiritual authority on something, you you do have, you know, this. Um, you have a voice of power. You 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 know, you're, there's a respect. There is a um, a trust and everything. And so there is right. this exploitation of that. So I'm going to use that, or I'm going to use the word of God right. to twist to do that. Well, and you think when you walk into a church, and not everybody, but the majority of people, when you walk into church and you are a believer your guard goes down, not up. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're around like-minded people. Mm. You feel like you're safe. It's a safe space or it should be a safe space. Right. Um, and so absolutely exploiting the trust that is um, been given mm. to you or put on you. Um, and you talk about like using the word of God. So I'm guessing, I mean, in most of these situations, obviously they're taking versus out of context because um yes you're you're not correctly wielding the word of the lord so um i so that's you know displeasing to god in of itself but then to use mm-hmm. that to um to burden you use others it as a, a weapon right. when the word of god should it is used for correction and for teaching and for edifying us and strengthening us challenging us it's not that the word of God should only ever be candy coated, not at all. That's right. not what it's for, but it should never be used as a weapon mm-hmm. to gain a certain response or to control somebody or to keep somebody quiet or to shame somebody. Jesus didn't come to shame us, he came right. to set us free. And so I think, you know, conviction and shaming are two very, very different right. animals. And I think just being aware that scripture should produce a, a, a desire in us for holiness and godliness and purity, not shame us into yeah. submission. I think it's the heart behind it and the goal <laughs> intended. So is the goal to help them to be more like Jesus or is the goal to increase my power or to get my will to take place? Um, Absolutely. And so I think there's a lot of difference between me going to you and telling you, hey, Joy, look, I see, you know, I don't know, I see this anger in you that's very concerning. And mm-hmm. I'm, 
you know, I've been praying about this and this is what I feel like God is, you know, telling me to tell you versus, you know, using a position of power, you know, taking God's word to um, to make you feel like you are indebted to me or make you feel right. like you have to listen to my authority. It's more of pointing you, to, it should be more of pointing you to Jesus rather than causing you to look to me for more authority. Absolutely. But what, yeah. you know, it's the, it's the heart motivation right. behind it. You're yeah. saying is, mm-hmm. you know, as my friend, we want to challenge and call each other to a higher right. standard. And that's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, but love, that's that's motivated by love. And so right. seeing the motivation of what what is driving this conversation and what is driving the reason behind why certain decisions are being made or mm. certain rules are being put in place. What is the reason behind it? Is it love? Because love is never, that's not abuse. If it's the love of Christ, if it's being filtered through the word of God in context, right? that's never, that's never abuse. So can you share about your time at a church when you were a young woman and you experienced this? Yes. So um, uh, I was 17, had just graduated from high school and spent my summer serving um, some um, missionary families in India and had had an incredible summer um, kind of stretching my wings a little bit. It was the first time I had ever really done anything outside or away from my parents Mm -hmm. and um, just had an incredible summer of just seeing the Lord move in ways that I had heard of, but hadn't personally seen. And so I was definitely on a spiritual high coming out of that summer. And um, I went into a gap year program and um, it was with a church that was extremely prominent at the time. Uh, They were I would say the leader in the evangelical movement. They had some pretty impressive ministries uh-huh. coming out of it. Lots of books and high profile people attended there. And their gap year program um, was considered pretty prestigious. Lots of students um, who had just gotten out of high school applied and they really sort of let you know that it was a big deal that you were chosen if you got in that... Um, were kind of presented as the the cream of the crop, the top leaders coming out of high school for the future church and ministry and um, kind of made to feel special, I guess, um, which, you know, sort of does stroke the pride a little bit. Right. <laughs> it's a big deal. Um, You're so awesome. <laughs> uh, exactly. It's like, yeah, I was chosen. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Later, it's like, why did I get chosen? <laughs> no, but <laughs> um, they, it was really a boot camp at first. Um, I found pretty quickly they ran it very military style. Um, that was the, the particular leader's style. Um, and his goal was to break us pretty quickly, uh, physically, mentally, and spiritually. We were not allowed much sleep. We were run constantly. Um, and there was, I just started noticing things 
I can see now, I just had checks in my spirit. There were little things that just didn't feel right. Um, the way people were called out in front of the whole group um, was very shaming. It wasn't edifying. It wasn't building up. It was shaming them into doing better. Um, it was embarrassing. It was condemning. Um, there was fear. A lot of um, what we needed to get done and the duties we were given, we did out of fear of the consequence if we didn't get it done, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, we were given, uh, we had one day off a week, which isn't unnormal in a, in a gap year program, but we had one day off a week. And that day, if anything had gone wrong during the week, we were given consequence time. You're given consequence time for being late, um, for not having certain scriptures memorized, for not having, um, for breathing wrong, you were given consequence <laughs> time, let's be honest. Yeah. So um, we all kind of racked up during the week, we would rack up a lot of consequence time. So our one day off a week, we would end up scrubbing toilets at the church and different things. And learning to be disciplined and show up on time are all good things. It was the way it was being handled and communicated that just didn't sit right with me. Yeah. Um, and so I had been there about six weeks and um, I was just struggling more and more and more with different specific situations that were happening. So I asked um, the the leader who was in charge, I said, hey, can I, can I sit down with you? I just, I want to talk to you um, about some stuff that I'm wrestling with. And he agreed to that meeting. And so um, I sat down with him and I remember saying, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is where I'm supposed to be, that this is where God brought me. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm struggling. Uh, I want to be able to give 110%. But at this point, I can't because, and then I gave a few specific examples of things where shaming had taken place or different situations. I said, I just need to understand why you're doing it this way. Mm. Show me in scripture why you're using this method to get whatever result. I'm guessing this is the result you're going for, but right. can you just show me why you're doing it this way? Because it feels wrong. Uh -huh. Steph, I was not prepared for the instant anger, borderline rage wow. that I was met with in that moment. Um, now, mm. I have a, a come from a strong men in my family, mm -hmm. but kind men. Right. <laughs> and I've questioned things and been met with, oh, well, here's why. And ex explained things. I didn't come in with a, you're doing this wrong kind of attitude or a disrespectful attitude. I really felt like I had prayed and just said, just please just help me understand because I know I'm supposed to be here. Uh -huh. um, it was like a switch flipped. Uh, he was so, so, so angry at me. Um, he began shaming me for even posing such a question at him asked me if I had breathed any of my concerns to any of 
my fellow students, any of my friends, um, because wow. if I had, he needed to know their names because I was borderline rebellion at this point, and um, he didn't want me to start leading some rebellion against him. And of course, I'm backpedaling at this point. I'm like, wait, no, 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 no. I just, yeah. I just want to know what's what's going on. Um, so I got out of there pretty quick and just remember feeling so defeated and discouraged and confused of that. What did I do? What did I say? Why did I make him so angry? Yeah, These are just questions I need answered. Um, the next day I got a phone call from the youth pastor's wife and we got to know a lot of the staff because we were serving in the different ministries of the church. And the youth pastor's wife reached out to me and said she had heard from this leader and knew I was struggling and she had the free evening. She needed to make cookies for a youth event. And would I just come bake cookies with her? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. I just felt like somebody sees me, yeah. somebody hears me, someone's going to talk to me. So long story short, I show up, we bake cookies. I share my heart. She listened so well and really encouraged me that it was all going to be okay. I just needed to be patient. It was all going to be okay. Um, at the end of our cookie time, she turned to me and said, um, I just want you to know that the leader who I had met with the previous day is going to be here in just a minute. I've asked him to come and we're just going to hash this all out tonight. You know, we're going to get it all out. Oh well, I felt sick in that moment because yeah. I wasn't emotionally prepared. I'm like, I already had a horrible meeting with him yesterday. I really don't want to do this again. I feel a little tricked right now, but I feel like she's going to have my back and maybe this is going to be good. Maybe we do just need a mediator to sit here and help us understand each other. Uh-huh. Um, he showed up a couple minutes later. He stomped in the door, slammed the door. Wow. <laughs> Not his house. And looked at me and said, I thought I was clear yesterday that this should be over. What? I said, I didn't, I didn't ask you to come here. I didn't, this isn't me. You know, I, I didn't invite you here. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, she said, nope, I did this. You guys just need to sit down and hash this out. Okay. He began pacing the room. I can still, it's funny when, you know, knowing I was going to do this, kind of reliving it this week from a, just a new perspective of just how bizarre this whole thing was. But um, he just pacing back and forth in front of the fireplace. She had a pile of magazines. I just remember him huffing and flipping through the magazines, not making eye contact with me. Mm. I didn't know what to do. He slammed a few of the magazines shut. And then he sat up. I'll never forget this part though. He sat up, he pointed a finger kind of at my face and basically, he started referencing First Samuel, I think it's 15. Um, and he said, Joy, you are leading a rebellion. Oh, Do you know what rebellion is to the Lord? It's witchcraft. You are no more than a witch in Jesus' eyes. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I remember kind of just, it was almost like someone had punched me in the gut and I just was taken aback and you start like, what, you know? And and remember, this isn't just some random person off of the street. This is a high profile leader in the church mm-hmm. that's um, well-respected. 
And I'm, who am I? I'm this 17-year-old kid who's never been to seminary, never done anything. And, and I'm, I don't even know what to say at that point. And I remember looking over at the youth pastor's wife thinking, why did you do this to me? <laughs> yeah, or, or help, yeah. you know, say what are, uh, something. Mm-hmm. And she sighed and looked at me and said, and do you know what I see you as, Joy? <laughs> like, I don't oh. know. I'm, I'm bawling at this point. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, I'm feeling horrible. Um, she said, and then she referenced, it's like, here's, here's comes, you know, the, the scripture she referenced, Mark 10, when Jesus talks about the rich young ruler. And she said, I see you as the rich young ruler. You look perfect and like you have everything together on the outside, but your heart is not willing to give up anything for Jesus. Mm. And I just sat there and sobbed. And I don't know what they expected from me in that moment. I don't really know what they wanted from me in that moment, but I I couldn't do anything but cry. I just bawled. And... um so confused, so hurt, not, I, I, I didn't even know how to process what they had just spoken over me. Um, and finally, the, he, he interrupted kind of my, my sobbing and said, um, you're no longer allowed to speak to any of your friends. You can't have any contact with any of the students about this situation. You can't talk about this meeting. Gave me all these rules of being silent and not speaking about what had happened mm-hmm. and told me that I needed to go spend some time with the Lord and let him root out all this rebellious attitude that I was having in Gosh. my heart. Um, so uh, I got out of there <laughs> yeah. and went straight to where two of my closest friends in the program, two fellow students were waiting for me at one of the houses. They they knew that I was going into this meeting. It was before we could do all of the, the texting was not as easy back then. It was much harder. <laughs> you had to push and, every um, button three times. <laughs> you did. And we weren't very quick and good at it. So yeah. it was just, I think I called crying. I don't even think I texted. I think I just was bawling and they said, come over. And they just prayed for me. Mm. I'm so thankful for that hour. For an hour, they held me and prayed over me. Um, and you know, they were walking through their own confusion and of, we all were experiencing kind of different levels of abuse at that point. But um, anyway, I, um, it was very late at night. That's the other thing too. I don't think I even got to them until like midnight or one in the morning. Um, But uh, the next morning I called my parents and told them what had happened. And my dad was in the car, I think within 20 minutes to come get me. I mean, it was, wow. This this ends now. Yeah. They are that is completely completely wrong, um, and I feel like my dad said on the phone, "Joy, that is abuse. That is not who you are. Basically, do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Don't move. I'm yeah. coming." And my dad drove a long drive across a state yeah. <laughs> to get to me um, and brought me home. Mm-hmm. And I just remember sitting and crying for. 10 days, I think, without coming up for air. I was so confused still, and I didn't understand nothing made sense. And then the phone rang, and um, one of those sweet friends that had prayed for me in that hour um, had been killed in a car accident. Oh my gosh. And I just felt like 
there was nothing left to be kicked out of me. But in that moment, there was more to be, Mm. it was to be life to be sucked out. Um, And she had been racing to get to where they had to be at a certain time. And, you know, if you were late, you got consequence time. So she was driving way faster than she should have been Mm -hmm. to get there on time, to not have consequence time. And um, she was actually hit. She hit a semi head on and the, the semi truck driver said he saw her with her Bible open on her steering wheel. She didn't even look up. She didn't even see him. Um, And so it's not hard to put together that she was trying to memorize the scripture so she wouldn't have consequence time. So she was driving too fast, trying to memorize the scripture um, to not, out, out of fear, you know, to not be punished for not, you know, having our, uh, having her scripture memorized or where. So mm-hmm. to me, uh, they killed her. That's just wow. what I will forever feel. Um, and, um, I love that her face was in the word of God though. And the next thing she saw was Jesus. And, Mm. um, so I, I, I I don't hurt for her, but I feel like her life on earth was robbed. Um, so anyway, it, that happened. So I went back and was there for the funeral and around everyone. And I just kind of felt like there would have to be healing and reconciliation after such a horrific tragedy. Surely we could come to an understanding now. Surely they would see that this is just not okay and you can't treat people this way. And um, the senior pastor at the church asked for a meeting with me while we were in town. and I think something I haven't mentioned is my dad was currently on staff at another very large, prominent church at the mm-hmm. time. Um, so because of this situation, there had been conversations between senior pastors of what was really going on there because I had voiced how I had been treated and what had been said. So the senior pastor asked for a meeting with me. And again, I walk in very hopeful. This is a very prominent person, very well-respected person. Mm. Um, my mom was there with me and I walk in thinking, this will be the time. He will understand. There will be healing here. We will come to an understanding. It's all going to be okay. I just kept my my Enneagram 7. I, can see that. <laughs> I was glasses half full. This is yeah. when it's going to be okay. Now is when it's going to turn and be all right. Reframing it. Um, yeah. I was constantly yeah. reframing. Um and convinced this is the moment where truth will set me free and everything's going to be okay. And anyway, Mm. um, and unfortunately that's not what happened. Um, It turned into 45 minutes of him being furious at the inter-church problem that I had caused and telling me, listing off all of the high profile people, speakers, authors that attend the church. And if they were really doing things that way, these people wouldn't attend the church. Mm. Um, Never addressing the hurt, the issue, the things that were spoken. It was in complete defense of that's not who we are because these people Mm. come here. (laughs) 
um, called us some pretty horrible names, um, which, you know, uh, it was completely inappropriate. It was just my mom and I sitting there. I mean, uh-huh. it, it was so cruel. He was so cruel. My mom was sobbing. I had cried everything out by that point. And yeah. I was just sort of sitting there staring blankly, thinking, how is this my life? And and wondering, did I cause this? Have, what have I done? My mom is bawling. How did I, I should have never said anything. You know, that's what mm. I'm already thinking. Why did I ever question anybody? What a mess I've made. And there's only a couple times in my life where I know I clearly heard the Lord, clearly. And you know, when that happens, you know. And I was sitting there and Steph, I heard, this is not your fight. And in that moment, and I mean, I share this carefully, but it was whether the Lord showed me this literally or whether it was just so that I would understand what he was communicating to me, I don't know. But in that moment, this pastor's face contorted into a demon. I saw a demon mm-hmm. when I heard this is not your fight. And then a legion of six demonic beings were standing behind him. Wow. Um, I wasn't scared. Mm. I wasn't, it was, it, it was so the Lord because what happened was I exhaled. It was like, oh, I get it now. And so for that moment, it was, oh my goodness, I'm not crazy. Mm. This is not my fight. And so, and then it was gone. I mean, it was in that moment, I saw it. I heard the Lord say that to my spirit and then it was gone. Mm. And so I just turned to my mom who was just still bawling and just grabbed her hand and said, mom, it's time to go. I said, thank you for your time, pastor so-and-so. You know, thank you for your time. We're gonna leave now. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he keeps going. My mom keeps going. I said, nope. This this meeting is over. Thank you for your time. And I grabbed her and dragged. I literally, she tells, I dragged her out. And then as soon yeah. as the door closed, I was like, oh my gosh, mom. Um, wow. This is what the Lord just showed me. And I, that day, I was walking in freedom. Mm. That day. Um, it was, the Lord showed me it was gonna be okay. There was still so much pain and confusion. But in that moment, I knew I had heard the voice of the Lord and my confidence in who he says I am was there. My my trust was in God, not men in that moment. Mm. So we left, we went home and I met with the senior pastor of our church. He wanted to hear what had happened. And I shared with him what I felt like the Lord had shown me and what I heard. And <laughs> again, um, he said, oh, Joy, I know you really think that that's what you heard and what you saw, but I know this man. I've known him for years. We've been in ministry together. I have prayed with him. (laughs) Um, There is no way, there's no way that that's true. Mm. And honestly, that's when I died. Mm. It was then. I completely just shut down emotionally, spiritually in me in that moment. I can trace it back when I look at you know my healing, which we'll talk about later, but um, I can trace it back to that moment because I just 
again, it was when, when you take what man says about who you are and that becomes your filter, mm. it's, um, it's toxic and suffocating to everything after that. So, um, wow. Sorry that that was long, but that's- No, that's really um, important to hear. Uh, that is the, the process of- Yes. Oh, puppies. <laughs> Recording at home. Yeah, dogs just <laughs> jump in sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but um, that's sort of the order of events and what led me to. Yeah. Um, it just. Yeah. Yeah. I got I it. No, I, the, you asked a question in there that said, why did I question anything? And I think that's exactly what the people in authority that are, you know, deceived want mm-hmm. you to think. They are going to make an example of you. I mean, they've mm-hmm. got these this young captive audience. You know, everybody's in their gap year, so they're young. They're not they're adults, but they're not really. You no, know, they, we were babies. Yeah. And they they're, you know, extras they're putting their thumb down hard on you guys. And then as soon as you start to question, then everybody sees what happens to you and nobody mm-hmm. is going to try that again. At least that's they what did. they think. <laughs> well, yeah. several other, I mean, it came out in different ways, but you know, I'm, I do have some absolutely treasured friendships still to this day from that season. Um, and we all walk with a limp <laughs> in mm-hmm. one way or another and all experienced it differently. But one of my friends in particular, you know, she was like, I wasn't about to say anything after what happened to you. I mean, it was, yeah. I'm just going to keep my head down and do as I'm told. I'm going to be the dutiful soldier because um, I'm not, I'm not going to do that, you know? So that's definitely what happened. Yeah. So um, I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to share about your response to, to the abuse. Um, I mean, you kind of, you talked about the the path that you started to walk down after that, but is there anything else that you wanted to share yeah, about that? I, I think, um, I think that what was unfortunate was about my response, and you know, I've wrestled with over the years. Is I came from an extremely solid foundation mm-hmm. <laughs> of being my whole life. I was confident in who I was right. in Christ. I was confident that he created me with a purpose. I was um, confident that I could hear the voice of the Lord yeah. for myself. And I let a two-month period rock that. Mm-hmm. And so I think just realizing that when we use scripture as a weapon, we wreak havoc and cause so much damage to his sheep. Um, You know, it says power of life and death is on the tongue. Mm. And I think realizing the weight of our words and the weight of their words. And there was a season where I just kind of beat myself up for um, allowing the words to affect me so negatively. Um, Allowing, you know, what man says to trump what God says. And um, I think I, I never stopped believing God for answers to prayers for other people. 
or I could I could pray for somebody else's healing. I could rejoice when something great happened for someone else. But for me personally, it was a show for uh-huh. years. Um, and I guess that's part of the story too is um, uh, I, uh, it was seven years after that experience for me. Seven years I walked in questioning God's goodness, questioning if I could hear God. Um believing him for other people, not for me. Mm. A seven year period before that particular leadership team and the senior pastor, it was, you know, the toxicity of a lot of the stuff that he was involved with, unfortunately became a huge public front page news. Um, And I don't believe it had to be that way. I think God extends opportunity and opportunity and after opportunity for repentance. Mm-hmm. because he's gracious and he loves us. But if we don't, he will publicly expose your sin because he cares that much for us. Yeah. And um, I will never forget seven years later, um, waking up, AOL was kind of the only email at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I literally remember hearing the da 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 like the dialing up mm-hmm. for AOL. And, you know, they used to have new, you know, you'd log on to the internet and there was news. Mm-hmm. And this pastor's face was right there with all of his yuck exposed for the world to see. Wow. And I, I, I just stared blinking blankly, I think. And then it's like the walls and the protection and the lies that were all around my heart began to crack and I wept and I wept and I wept and I wept because it was realizing I'm going to cry now. (laughs) Um, I wasn't crazy. Mm. I can hear the voice of the Lord. I am not a witch to Jesus. Mm. He loves me. I have a purpose. I have a destiny. He wants good things for me, not harm. And in that moment, I let Jesus hug me for the first time in seven years. Mm. And I began then from that day forward, the long journey of healing and retraining myself how to process the information and realizing I had processed life through lies for seven years Mm -hmm. and um, the chain effects that had happened from that. And um, one beautiful thing is uh, the very next day, my phone rang and um, uh, the senior pastor who had been my senior pastor, who had told me that I couldn't have really seen that. He called me. Um, the very next day after all of that was exposed to the world and I answered the phone and he, first thing out of his mouth was, I am so sorry. Mm. And I cried again. (laughs) (laughs) But that was so healing for me because um, it it was, you know, and he just repented for not hearing me and for the way he had kind of shut down what I had said. And, don't know. It just, um, it was a tough next 
few years of of healing, but it was also just so beautiful to see because God really does bring beauty from the ashes and what the enemy set up to just burn me in a fire and destroy me um, turned into a beautiful story of Jesus, you know, my heart turning back to him Mm -hmm. and um, yeah. So I think that that's, um, that's kind of, what my response to the abuse looked like. I mean, it was a yeah. long series, a uh, season of of just walking, really walking away from him completely and then um, letting him be my comforter mm. when I really let the weight of what had happened um, come to the surface, I guess. Man, I just admire Joy's willingness to share about such a painful experience. And I'm just in shock of how God brought about justice, even when it seemed like it would never happen. One thing I love about Joy is that even though she's been through incredible hurt at the hands of church leaders, she still loves Jesus, and she still loves the body of believers. She knows that the church is filled with sinners, but that Jesus is worthy of our faithful devotion. You can find her on Instagram at peachtreehdr, check out the home renovation that she and her husband have been working on. It's really impressive. And until next time, remember to stay faithful.